Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Okay, we are in the 11th chapter of Revelation. We'll be looking at Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. Revelation eleven fifteen through 19. Allow me to read this passage. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple. And there were flashes of light and sounds of peals and th- of thunder and an, and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. So we look and if you remember the after the first four trumpets, uh, an eagle flew over the sky and cried out, woe, woe, woe. Basically three woes are still yet to come. That's the fifth, sixth and seventh trumpet. We've already dealt with the first two woes, the fifth and the sixth trumpet. And we had kind of a Uh, interlude between those two and this one, uh, basically kind of a setting up for what is yet to come. So now, looking at verse 15, and the seventh angel sounded trumpet. Now, if you remember when the seventh seal was opened, there's kind of this dramatic pause, there's silence in heaven for 30 minutes, and It was basically a preparation for what was about to come, which is the seven trumpets. So now the seventh trumpet uh, is sounded. We're going to be seeing the same thing. We actually will not get to what happens as a result of the seventh trumpet sounding until we get to chapter 16. So between there, we're going to be dealing with a lot of things, a lot of symbolism that will take place. So basically we see that the seventh uh, trumpet has sounded. This third woe has sounded. And what takes place? Well, basically what we're seeing now is a synopsis of what is yet to come. Now, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I need to remind us that we are not looking at a chronological uh, story. Revelation is not chronological at all. It goes from, you know, what, what John was seeing that was taking place, like at the first part of the tribulation, then all of a sudden you see uh, the saints of God under the throne from the great tribulation, and then you go back uh, to what's happening in the first part of the tribulation, and now what we're going to be seeing is the end of the tribulation. And so that is one of the main reasons why Revelation is so confusing, so difficult to study, is because it bounces around so much, and our minds, my mind, doesn't comprehend that real well. I, I probably read 40 novels a year, something like that. And 
there, every now and then there's one of these that, you know, kind of goes from the present back to the past, you know, kind of picking up stories where they relate or something like that. But that's unusual in itself. Most of them, you know, a lot of ones I have, each chapter is kind of dictated by what the date is. And so you, you kind of get in this mindset, well, okay, everything follows in a chronological, linear way. But Revelation does not do that at all. And so what we're seeing here is basically this depicting what happens at the end, at the end of the tribulation. Well, let's pick up with verse 15. It says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there was a loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the, of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. The loud voices in heaven. I don't know if you all have noticed this, but many times John talks about loudness in heaven. Now, I don't know about y'all, I, I don't like a lot of loud noise. Every now and then, Susan and I have gone to a football game, basically because somebody handed us tickets and wanted us to go with them. Um, we're not real keen on a lot of loud noise, especially a cowbell ringing right next to your ear. And I mean, you cannot go to a Mississippi State football game without that happening. But it's, it's fun in itself. But a lot of times, John is describing loud voices or loud noises coming from heaven. Now, notice where it says, and he heard the loud voices in heaven. Notice that John is transformed into heaven. He has been moved into heaven. He is not hearing loud voices from heaven. He is hearing loud voices in heaven. He is there present. Now, who are these loud voices? Does the Bible tell us? It does not. We do know that in the very next verse it mentions the 24 elders, but in heaven we know that there's strong angels, myriads of angels, other uh, uh, different types of heavenly creatures that God has with him. So was it just maybe a handful of strong angels? Was it the 24 elders? Was it a combination of those? Or was it all of heaven combined? We have no idea. All we can know is that there were loud voices in heaven. And so what we do know is what they said, and that's what is important. They said that the kingdom of the world has come, the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ. Now, has come, listen to that word. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ. Now, right now, God has allowed Satan to be the ruler over this earth, this world. But here it says that the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of God, of our Lord, and His Christ. That is that final promise that He has taken, retaken full authority and full control over the earth. And notice that He says not only our Lord God, but also His Christ. And so what we're seeing is that John is hearing these voices, these loud voices in heaven, proclaiming what has been promised, and he uses it in the tense as if it has already happened. That's, again, one of these reasons why it's difficult to fully comprehend Revelation, because we go from one place where we're talking about the early parts of the tribulation, then to the latter parts of the tribulation, and then back to the early parts. Now we're at the end of the tribulation where Jesus comes again and he reigns over this earth with all authority 
and he reigns forever and ever. And so this points to the second coming of Jesus when he will reign over the earth and he will reign for all of eternity. The, when Jesus comes, he will come as judge and king. And so we look at that and his reign will have no end. Verses 16 and 17 depicts the 24 elders. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God. Now let's stop there for just a second. These 24 elders, they have their own thrones, so they have a kind of a high position of authority even in heaven. But even they get up off their thrones and they fall on their faces before Almighty God and they begin worshiping. And here's what they say. We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. Now, first of all, they are worshiping. They are falling on their faces in humility, worshiping Almighty God. And so, what are they worshiping? They are worshiping His righteous judgment. Because His righteous judgment is now upon the earth. It will be upon those who have rejected His Son Jesus and those who fought against Him, battled against Him from the days of early all the way up to the end time. The judgment will be upon those who stood against God. Now, notice something. Let's go back to it. We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty. Now, look at the next phrase, who are and who were. Now, if you recognize that, we see that elsewhere in Revelation and in other parts of the Bible. But there's another tense that's missing here. Usually it will say who are and who were and who is to come. Why is that part missing? Because the who is to come has just taken place. We are now future tense. There is no more future past this. He is and he was. There is no is to come because we're at the end. Okay? Does that make sense to everybody? It already has begun. The, the reign, the eternal reign has begun. So again, we are at the end where Jesus has come again. His second coming has come and he has now begun his eternal reign. And so there again, we are looking at the end time, even though the seventh trumpet will eventually usher in seven bowls of judgment that will have to take place before this happens. I, I've used this illustration before. We, if we go to a parade, we, we, we get our little spot, right? And we can only see, you know, what's right here, what's right here, what's right here. But God sees the beginning of the parade, the middle of the parade, and the end of the parade all at the same time. God has always been in existence. God has already seen the beginning of time back in Genesis. He sees what's going on right now. And he's already seen the end of time because he's writing about it right now. So time is timeless to God. And basically what we're seeing is that uh, these 24 elders say to God, you were and you are, but not yet to come. Because the final, the, the future tense has now become present tense. And so we look at this and we are again skipping over the seven bowls of judgment to get to what John is seeing now in heaven. He is now seeing that the end has come, that the reign of Christ on earth has come and he has, has begun to reign. And so that is that eternal, that 
end time, uh, second coming of Christ to reign on this earth and to reign the earth. And now we've come to verse 18. And now we're talking about the final judgment, which again skips over uh, most of the last part of Revelation from 16 on. Uh, it skips over all that. When Jesus does come again, he will come as judge as well as king. But there's going to be two judgments that will take place when Jesus comes. For those who have rejected Jesus as Lord, those who have uh, will have one judgment, and then there's another for those who have accepted Jesus as Lord. For those who rejected Jesus as Lord, they will face what is called the great white throne judgment. Now the judgment, this judgment is only for unbelievers. If you're a child of God, if you believe that Christ is your Savior and Lord, and placed your faith in Him, surrendered to Him as Lord, then you will not face the great white throne judgment. But it says that the books and the book of life will be open. And if their name is not written in the book of life, which means that they are not a child of God, then they will be judged according to their sin, which is recorded in the books. It's hard for us to believe this, because it really is not a fact. There are not paper books with every single one of our actions, thoughts, desires, and, and words they are written at. But you know what? God knows every single thing that we have ever done, ever thought, ever desired, or ever said. And so the books are basically all of our deeds, good or bad. Now for those who, whose names are not written in the book of life, they will be judged according to their deeds. And their deeds will be found short because even one little sin, which we're born in sin, is enough to condemn us to an eternity without God, an eternal death, and eternal punishment. So they will face the great white throne judgment. Their names will not be found in the book of life. And so they will be judged according to all that they have done. Good or bad, their good is not going to outweigh the bad. Even one, one sin on the scales of God will condemn them. Well, then we come to the judgment seat of Christ. And this is for those who have accepted Jesus as Lord. And we will face this judgment seat of Christ. And it's just for believers only. And basically what it says is that uh, we will be judged according to our deeds. Now, not as a way of condemning us because we have sinned, because every single one of us has sinned. Uh, if it was that, then we would all be at the great white throne judgment and we would all be condemned. But what Jesus will be doing is he will be saying, okay, now that you are my brothers and my sisters, how have you been faithful? And we will stand before the Lord and we'll be judged by our faithfulness to the Lord. And we will receive our heavenly rewards as a result of how faithful we are and those rewards can be withheld if we have not been faithful. And so the Lord tells us that we need to be faithful stewards with all that He has given us, whether it's our time or talents or our abilities, whatever it may be, with our finances, with our love, with our compassion, all these things. We need to be good stewards and allow God to use us in whatever way God has gifted us. Now God's gifted each one of us a little differently. We cannot all be the same. Uh, we will... Uh, 
see when, when we're studying uh, Colossians that, that he's given us different parts of the body and each part has a different role to play and a different way to minister. But we are his and we do need to be found faithful. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So if we have lived and strive to be obedient to the Lord, then we will receive uh, heavenly rewards. If we have basically said, well, I've done enough, I've trusted Jesus, I'm going to heaven, but that's as far as I'm going to go, and we have not lived in faithfulness, then those rewards will be withheld. Now, I struggle with anybody who thinks that way, because I, I struggle with even believing that they are a true child of God, if they can even think that I, I did the bare minimum, I raised my hand and prayed that prayer, and I'm going to heaven. And so I don't have to do anything else. But, but what we see is that if God has already told us, let me fill you with my spirit, and you allow my spirit to work in you and through you to do my good and acceptable and perfect will, then that's exactly what he expects of us. In our own ways, because he's gifted us with different spiritual gifts, and we need to use them faithfully for his honor and for his glory. And as we do in heaven, he will reward us in unique ways how that will be. It talks about crowns that will be given. But it says that the 24 elders will take their crowns and throw them at the feet of Jesus. So if we get a crown, guess where it's going? Not on our head, but the foot of Jesus in honor and glory of him. So... It's not a bragging point as to how many crowns or jewels you're going to have in your crowns or anything like that. It is an honor for us to serve God here on earth. So that's what, this is our only chance. This is our only chance. Okay, so we look and we see that there, at this time there were still people on the earth. They were enraged because they were sick and tired of hearing the, the two witnesses that we talked about last week. They were sick and tired of hearing about God and his son Jesus. They were sick and tired of feeling that they were being condemned and judged. Well, their hearts are hardened. They were enraged. And the Lord will now come in judgment. Notice what he says. And the nations were, in verse 18. And the nations were enraged and your wrath came. And the time came for the dead to be judged and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. So that's basically where we see these two judgments. One, he has come, uh, it's time to judge the dead, uh, those who have basically fought against you, and it's also time to reward your bondservants, the prophets, the saints, as well as those who fear your name whether small or great. So in other words, it doesn't matter where you are in society, how people look at you, God sees the heart and we will be rewarded according to. And also he will judge those who destroy the earth and he will destroy them. Then we come into another um, beautiful passage, of verse 19. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened and the ark of the covenant appeared in his temple and there were flashes and light of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. Now, if you remember when the people of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, God commanded them to build a tabernacle. 
This was a, basically a moving uh, temple. And even in it, uh, they were to build the altar. They were to build the, the, they already had the Ark of the Covenant. In the Ark of the Covenant was uh, the tablets, the Ten Commandments. It was uh, the, the rod of Aaron that had budded and some manna that had been stored as a reminder of their wandering. And so then when they settled in Egypt, they were commanded to build the temple. If you remember when they dedicated the temple, the Shekinah glory, a huge bright glow that represented God, entered into the temple. That was representative that the temple represented the presence of Almighty God. And now it says that the temple which is in heaven was opened. At the end, when the judgment has taken place, there's no reason why God's presence cannot be here. Because we will all belong to Him. And so His presence, the opening of the temple, is there. And it says that the Ark of the Covenant appears in His temple. The Ark of the Covenant was the symbol of the presence of God. The temple itself was not the presence of God, but the Ark was. If you remember... The, all the priests could be in the temple. The Jewish men could be inside the temple to worship. But there was a veil that separated the main part of the temple from what we call the Holy of Holies. When Jesus died on the cross, it says that that veil split in half from top to bottom, separating, uh, you know, opening up what used to separate man from God. Jesus became that intercessor between man and God. But it says that his Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, was made open, clear, appeared. And so basically what we see is that the presence of God is now with man. Folks, it doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't get any better than that. Now when we die and we go to heaven, we will be in the presence of God. But when we look at this, this is the final time on earth. This is the final judgment. The final judgment will take place. Those who are non-believers throughout the ages, those who are dead in, in their sins, those who are still living will all be judged. Their eternity will be sealed. For all those who have uh, believed in the Lord, uh, His saints, His prophets, those great and small who lived for Him throughout the ages, those who may still be alive on earth during that time, they will be judged according to their righteousness and rewarded. And so now the presence of God is with his people. You might as well just say amen and close the book because that's the end of Revelation. But now we've got to go backwards and see how do we get there. But we look and we see at the end of that verse, it says, And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and of earthquake and a great hailstorm. You know, God makes his presence known. And I don't think he comes quietly. An earthquake, thunder, flashes of lightning, great hailstone. You know, his, his presence will be made known in a powerful way. So, again, just kind of wrapping up today. Remember that God is uh, giving a vision to John that is future tense. This is basically marking the final judgment, the end of the tribulation. However, uh, we will continue to see the instruments, how we get to that point. Uh, next week we'll actually be looking at uh, symbols of a child, a woman, and a dragon. And so 
then we'll be seeing some other symbols of, of other things. So, you know, the, we, we've got the rest of chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 15, before we get to the first bowl, uh, bowl of judgment. So we got a lot of stuff in between to cover. So stay with us, and I hope that you're getting something out of this. But we look and we see that uh, the fact keeps coming out of Revelation that God is preparing for an end judgment. And we need to understand that. We need to be found faithful in serving the Lord here on earth, right here, right now, doing all that we can to allow His Spirit to work in us and through us to, to minister to others, sharing the love of Christ, sharing the message of salvation, simply inviting them to come and hear the Word of God uh, proclaimed. We cannot save anybody, but we sure can introduce them to the truth of the Word of God and allow the Holy Spirit of God to infiltrate their heart and to draw them to salvation. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much that we have this promise that in the end you do reign. That, Lord, you will come and, and you will fulfill your promise to judge all, whether good or bad, whether they have accepted you as Lord or not, or for those who will face that great white throne judgment, Lord, our hearts go out. Because, Lord, that's why we're here, is to keep them from facing that. Help us, Lord, to, to see the opportunities to use whatever giftedness you've given us to be good stewards of it and to share your love and your mercy and your grace through the gift of salvation. Allow your spirit to draw them to salvation, to your throne. Lord, for all of us who know you as Savior and Lord, Lord, may we be found faithful in doing what you've called us to do. And Lord, we do thank you, just like the 24 elders, that, that we know that this promise will be fulfilled. Lord, thank you that we have this glimpse of what is yet to come as if it has already taken place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.